Let us return then to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Our text will be found there in verse 24. Verse 24 of Deuteronomy chapter 3. O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? Here we do have a portion of the prayer that Moses offered up to God. We know that because he disobeyed the commandment of God, that he was forbidden to enter into the promised land. But seeing what God had done, and he wanted to be part of that going into the promised land, he cried out to God in prayer and offered up the prayer that we are looking at here in verse 24. But we know the outcome. God would not let him go into the promised land. He was to go to Mount Pisgah, and he was to look with his eyes, and maybe supernaturally he was going to see the promised land, but he would not enter into it. But Moses had a great desire to go on with the people of God, but the Lord would not let him continue. We might not be too familiar with the book of Deuteronomy. Some of the words and names that we mentioned might come to our memories because we have read or we have studied the book of Numbers uh, not that long ago. But Deuteronomy itself is probably a book that we're not too familiar with. Well, basically, Deuteronomy is Moses's farewell to his people. He's not going to go into the promised land. He has brought them to the edge of the promised land, but he's not going to go there. He's going to go the way of all the earth. And in this book here, basically we have two addresses from Moses. He's addressing the people on the brink of the promised land. And the first address, that's where our chapter comes from. In the first address, he is basically looking back, looking back at what God has done with them during the 38 years or so when they wandered in the wilderness because of unbelief. And he's drawing to their attention how God has been good to them, even when they disobeyed, even because of unbelief, they did not enter into the promised land on the first occasion. And the next part of the book, the great bulk of it, is taken up in his second address, where he is reminding the people of their duties and their privileges and their responsibilities as the covenant people of God, as a people whom the Lord prizes 
and the Lord has lavished his love upon them. And because of that, they are to behave themselves accordingly. And in the first address, that is where what our um, chapter is taken from, he is reminding them of the goodness of God, the battles that they have won. For instance, in this chapter here, he recounts a battle between them and Og, the king of Bashan. And he also mentions another king who came out against them, Sihon. These two kings began to pick a fight with Israel. They came out against Israel, and they were strong armies and strong people. Yet the Lord fought for them, and they overcame all the difficulties. We know from what we've read here that this Og, the king of Basham, was one of the remaining giants. And by the dimensions that are given to us in the narrative here, it would seem that he was an individual twice the size of an ordinary male. And does it not tell us here that they took some threescore cities, 60 cities, and these cities were fenced, verse 5, with high walls, gar gates, and bars. And they managed to overcome all these difficulties. Why? Because the Lord was with them. And as a result of that, we find that the tribes Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe Manasseh, you might remember this from uh, our study of the Numbers, the book. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe Manasseh settled in the land of Og and the land of Sion, the land that was taken from these kings, because it was a land that was suitable for cattle, and these tribes had much cattle. So the Lord had been with them during that 38 years. There's only really one note of discouragement in what we've just read there. It is the fact that Moses would not take them over into the promised land. But God again was ahead of them. There was a leader appointed to take over from Moses. And that leader was Joshua. Now that itself is, is notable. Here, Moses, when he got that final no from God, he was prepared to hand over to Joshua. He was not someone who took umbrage. He was prepared to lay aside everything, and he was one who would willingly encourage and help Joshua as he would take up his new role to lead the people into the promised land. But here, friends, he is saying goodbye to the people. He is coming to the end of his life. He has served the purpose of God. He has taken them to the edge of the promised land, and now he's going to be gathered to glory with God himself. And what he is impressing upon them, the Lord God 
has been with them, and they can be assured that the Lord will continue with them, come what may. Well, thinking about our own situation that we find ourselves in this evening, here we are, the last Lord's Day of 2023. It's usually a time for reflection. It's usually a time when we have more time in our hands during this holiday season, and we might reflect upon things. We might be prepared to look back and to consider things. And also, we might be prepared to look forward to a new year. Some might say, well, it's just another day. There's no great significance in it. Maybe that is true. But it is good to stop and to think and to look back and to look forward also. And this is what we seek to do this evening. Here is Moses. He's looking back, and he's also looking forward. Because our text tells us, O Lord God, thou hast begun. He's only beginning. God in all he's done in these 38 years in the wilderness, and of course the time in Egypt as well, God has only begun to show his greatness and his glory to his people. And therefore Moses believes and realizes that what lies ahead will further reveal unto them the greatness and the glory of their God. He might go the way of all the earth, but God will still be there. And friends, I hope this is what we can take from this message this evening tonight. Surely can we not rejoice when we look back how the Lord has blessed us? And as we enter into a new year, when we cannot tell the difference between one day and another day, what we can be absolutely certain about, the Lord our God will be with us. And therefore that demands a response from us which we will come to at the end of our uh, sermon. I want to ask you then, here tonight, are you in any sense fearful as you face a new year? You might say to me, it's just another day, it's just another year. Well, that may well be so, but we're going into a new year and no one can tell what will happen. We hear about wars. Do we not? We're surrounded with them. They seem to be escalating. Are we fearful? Are we ones who are petrified? What if it spreads? What if it comes to a nuclear war? What if it comes to the fact that mankind might be drawn to a close? What about these things? Some people are thinking along these lines. Maybe this is what's happening to you. Maybe you are somewhat fearful. Maybe you're fearful about the political uncertainty in the United Kingdom. We do believe there will be an election this year, or next year, God willing. What about the USA, the presidential election? That's going to come up, God willing, in November. What will happen? Well, you might say, well, it doesn't really matter to us what happens in America. Friends, we would say otherwise. 
as, as we would say, it matters what happens in these wars. The wars in the Ukraine, that has affected us, has it not? The cost of living has gone up. Who's going to tell what's going to happen in Israel? Things will happen, and they will affect the people in Partick. And maybe as a result, you are somewhat fearful. What about the rise of Islam and false religion? How long will it be if things continue before this becomes an Islamic country? Oh, minister, you are exaggerating. Am I? Am I? Are we not seeing the decline of Protestant Christianity in our very midst? And can we not see the rise of false religion? Can we not see it? We cannot hide from these things. If that continues, where will we be? At the moment, friends, there is toleration. But if Islam grows, and if it becomes more and more powerful, we will not see toleration then. We'll not be able to gather in freedom like we do now. These are things that could well make us somewhat fearful. The decline of the cause of Christ. We don't want to discourage ourselves in any sense. But it, it's happening in the West. It may well be in other parts of the world that the cause of Christ is prospering and flourishing. And we hope it is, and we believe it is. But in our own locality, it's not. And we must face up to the facts. And of course, everyone can see the moral and spiritual decline that's all around us. What a change has been in this second century, in the second millennium or into the third millennium, however you want to compute it. But what a change has been around in this world since the year 2000. Here we're going into 2024. Things that are happening would never have happened 20 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago. There's been a tremendous decline. Well, all of these things might factor in so that you become somewhat fearful. How are we going to respond? The psalmist has wonderful counsel for us. It's in the Word of God. It's not pie in the sky. It is, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. We are to continue to trust in the Lord our God. I have highlighted some things that may well be troubling people. You may be someone with whom these things do not in any sense trouble you. That may well be the case. But you may well have other troubles, more personal troubles. I have highlighted some possible things that are, could bring about fear to people that are may be obvious and national and international, but you might have your own fears and your own apprehensions and your own cares and your own problems as you face a new year. Whatever, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Well, as I said, Moses here is primarily looking back. And he's looking back 
and is reminding them of what God has done over that 38-year period when they wandered about in the desert. I want to ask ourselves this evening, what has the Lord done for you? What has the Lord done for you? Well, I want to speak, first of all, generally. I want to address every single person here and everyone who may well be listening by other means. I'm talking to everyone. I'm not talking here particularly, especially to the believer, but to the unbeliever and the, and the believer. What has God done for you? Well, God has been good to you. God has brought you into this world. God has watched over you all the days of your life. God has fed you. God has clothed you. God has given you health and strength. God has given you the soundness of mind that you enjoy. God has given you a home and maybe a family, maybe a spouse, maybe children. God has given you possessions. God has given you everything that you've ever needed. God has given you all that you have. You are creatures of the dust. You are ones who depend upon the living God. You depend upon him for the very water that you drink. And sometimes, friends, we have so many drinks, yet sometimes there is only, there is only water that can quench our thirst. Well, God has given that to you. God has given you the very air that you breathe. God has given you and sustained your life. You are not self-sustaining. God alone is self-sustaining. In him, the Bible tells us, in him we move and have our being. Away with this nonsense that we find in the modern world. I'm a self-made man. I look after myself. It's my life. Absolute, utter nonsense. Many people have worked hard. They have been industrious. They have done well for themselves. That is true. But who gives the ability? Who gives the blessing? Who gives people uh, much possessions? Who gives them the things of this world? It is Almighty God who gives these things to people. And therefore, God gives us these things in order that we might recognize that God is good. Why? Why is he good? Well, he's good because he's given to us all of these things, these temporal things, but he's also good because he has not treated us the way that we deserve. Stop. Think. Ponder for a moment. People say that when maybe a young person dies, for instance, and that's a tragic event if that happens, they didn't deserve it. They were good. They had a good heart. All kinds of things are said on occasions like that. They were taken too soon. And of course, in a from a human perspective, we sympathize with anyone who's gone through an experience like that. 
But the reality is, friends, there is none good. No, not one. In the sight of God, there is none. We're all sinners. We're all under his wrath and curse by nature. And therefore, when he lavishes gifts and blessings and temporal mercies upon us, God is not treating us the way that we deserve. And therefore, every one of us, regardless of our state this evening, we have to realize that God has been good to us. Has he not been patient? Have you not heard the gospel? Have you not heard the gospel on many occasions? Here and in other places? Has not the present minister sought to impress upon you the claims of Christ? Have not former ministers also done exactly the same and brought the claims of Christ to your attention, yet you persist in spurning the offers of salvation? Yet you're still alive? Yet you're still under the means of grace? What has God done for you? God has been patient. God has been gracious. God has been long-suffering. He has been good to everyone. No matter how hard and no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, and the minister doesn't want to make light of anyone's circumstances, some people seem to have things harder than others. I acknowledge, I acknowledge that. But nevertheless, none of us have ever been treated the way that our sins deserve. Because sin is a despicable thing. It's an abominable thing in the sight of God. And if we had a greater understanding and comprehension of the holiness of God, and if we would see the contrast between the holy God and sinful mankind, it would shake us. Our problem is we don't recognize or grasp the holiness of God, how he absolutely hates sin. We are reminded in God's word that the angels, the holy angels, these angels that cannot sin, who have been kept from sinning, they cannot look upon God. Yet, mankind, the sinner, thinks that he can march into the presence of God unannounced as it were. Oh, do we not realize the tremendous gulf there is between a holy God and sinful mankind. God is good and has been good. And even if you just look at the last year or this year that's about to expire, God has been good to you. And therefore that's a cause for us to praise God and to acknowledge his goodness. But Moses was dealing here and addressing the covenant people of God. And now I want to ask, and I want to outline and to highlight what God has done for the Christian. 
If there's anyone who should raise their voice and praise the living God and acknowledge how good God is, it surely is the Christian. It surely is that one who has the gift of eternal life and who has their sins forgiven. Look at the wonderful blessings that God has lavished upon his people, people that didn't deserve it, yet God, by his own will, has chosen them in Christ before the foundation of the world. Friends, to some people, election is a stumbling block, and it is an offensive thing, and to many pulpits you'll not hear about it. It's something that's not proclaimed, but friends, we find it in the Word of God, and what's in the Word of God is there for our edification, and it's there to be proclaimed. And here was a people, a people Israel, and they were chosen. They were chosen not because they were great, not because they were good, not because they were special in, the, in of themselves. They were chosen because God had chosen them, and God placed his love upon them because that's what he wanted to do. That was his will. Well, in a greater sense, yes, in a much greater sense, God has chosen the Christian. Israel was chosen, but Israel was never chosen for eternal salvation. Never. Oh, we know there were some people in Israel who are truly saved and will be in glory. But that is not true for the whole nation of Israel. Whereas every Christian has been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. God has set his love upon them. And God's love is eternal love. It never began. And it will never end. Christian, why is it we cannot cry out, hallelujah to these things? God in his mercy has shown mercy to you. He has chosen you in Christ, and he's chosen you to take you to glory, to take you to the ultimate promised land. And God, if you like, has staked his reputation on taking all of his people to glory. Not one shall be missing. Not one. Is this not a great cause then to look back and to ponder and to delight. Not only has he chosen us, but he has sent Christ in order to save us. Christ came in the fullness of time. The Son of God became a man. We say these things, but do we really ponder them? Do we, do we understand them? Do we grasp them? Do we try to wrestle with them? Do we understand the, the condescension of the Son of God there as he was worshipped in glory for the ages of eternity? In time, he became a man. He became the God-man. He became our mediator. And as you know, he did everything required. Everything. 
that was demanded of him. He did it lovingly. He did it freely. He did it willingly. He did it voluntarily. We know he was nailed to the cross. But in reality, friends, it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for his people. That's what it was. Nothing could distract him. He was on a divine mission. He was single-minded. He was devoted to go to Calvary, to take upon him that crown of thorns. To take upon him the wrath of God on the behalf of the Christian. Is this not something to rejoice over? Christ came. His work was successful. Oh, up he came on the third day. The grave opened up. Here out comes the Son of God, risen, glorified. Now he's exalted at God's right hand. What happened? The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. We've been looking at it in the book of Acts. Wonderful things have happened, friends. The church of God has gone on. Why? Because Christ is there building his church. And the Holy Spirit has come to you one day, Christian. One day you were an unbeliever. One day you were sitting maybe in the, in the pew and you were trying to sleep. And what happened? Oh, the Holy Spirit came with power upon the Word of God. You were awakened. You were brought to new life. This is a wonderful gift. This is something that God has done in His sovereignty. You were born again by the Spirit of the living God. He came first and He convicted you of your sin. And you didn't like it. You didn't like it at all. But then you were converted. And you began to, to love the things that God loves. You began to turn your back upon your old life. You began that great battle, that battle of battles, the fight to fight the good fight of faith. And God sent his Holy Spirit, and it did wonderful things. It's like that man who was born blind. And when he had a, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't understand all that was going on, but he was able to say, I was blind, but now I see. He had his eyes opened, and your eyes were open, Christian. Wonderful things that happened, and God has done been good to you. And this is a great cause of thanksgiving as we ponder, as we look back. And not only that, friends, he has brought you into his family. Oh, your sins have been forgiven. You have been reconciled to God. But more, he has brought you into his family. You have been adopted into his family. You're under his care. You're under his tutelage. He treats you now not like a creator. He treats you now like a son or a daughter. That's what he has done. Wonderful things. 
glorious things, divine things, things indeed that would cause us to magnify and glorify our God. He leads, he guides, he protects, yes, and he chastises. He's a perfect parent. We say reverently. Some of us are parents, and as we go through our life, we recognize our faults and our failings. But with God, there is no fault, no failings, perfect. And when he sees his child erring, he will chastise. And he will cause that erring child to be brought back into the fold again. Why? Because he's preparing that child for glory. That's why. And here, friends, as Moses is looking back, he is reminding them of their privileges. And basically what he is saying to them, that the best is yet to be. They have tasted the Lord. They have seen his mighty works. They have seen kingdoms being destroyed. They have seen them taking the land. And they, once they've seen these victories, they can be sure of other victories because the best is yet to be. And Christian, you have wonderful blessings today, present day blessings, but there are wonderful blessings yet to come in this world and in the world to come. Listen to what it says here in Romans chapter 8, that we might be assured of God's intentions for his people. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the apostle says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What's Paul saying here? Well, Paul is reminding the Romans that God has given his son. His son is the ultimate gift that he could give to mankind. There is no other gift that can compare with his son. It's the unspeakable gift. And then he says, well, if he's given the unspeakable gift, will he not give everything else? Ultimately, to take every one of his children to glory. You can see the logic in it. It's not a difficult argument. And is that not a wonderful encouragement for every one of us to come to the Lord Jesus? He has given the ultimate gift. He's not going to withhold anything else. All that we need, and I'm principally talking here about spiritual needs. I'm not talking about physical needs, temporal needs. Yes, God will give us what is sufficient for us, but we cannot expect to be lavish with temporal things. What he's talking about here is spiritual things. And we need blessings, we need grace, we need it day by day. Well, if God has given his son in order to rescue his people, 
he will give whatever else is required to bring that same people to glory. And therefore, if we begin to follow Jesus Christ, he will take us to glory. He will. God will not abandon any one of us. There's a verse in Proverbs that's appropriate to quote here. Proverbs verse, uh, verse 18 from chapter 4. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Unto the perfect day. What's the perfect day? The perfect day, friends, is eternity. And Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The perfect day is the ages to come. We've only tasted something of the great love of God today in our present day experience. The best is yet to be. Eternity's coming, friends. Will God be different in eternity? Has not God lavished wonderful things upon the Christian here and now? Will he change? In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We know very little of the world that is to come. But what we know about this world that we're in and the blessings that we already enjoy, they are foretastes of what lies ahead. That's what Moses was saying to them. You've had some victories, you're going to have many more because God is going to be with you. Well, what's our response? Basically, three things, very quickly. We're to trust the Lord. I talked there a bit earlier on, people being fearful, who knows? I've highlighted some things, they might never come to fruition, but other things will come. Whatever, whatever comes your way, Christian, you are to trust. You are to trust upon the Lord. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, the Bible says. And he will never disappoint. He will never fail. And that's what they were to do. They were going to go into the promised land. They were going to fight, but they were going to trust in the Lord. And they are to obey the Lord. They are to take his commandments, and they are to obey him. God knows the end from the beginning. We don't. And therefore, we are to be obedient. And even when that's against flesh and blood, we are to be obedient to what God says. We are to follow his word. Not man's word, not my word, but God's word. And we are to love the Lord our God. This is what was required of them. That as they go into the promised land, they would love the Lord 
their God. Trust, obey, love the Lord. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Let us pray.